Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another quick reminder to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is that you like to podcast. We do love it if you leave us a rating. We love five stars, gold ones. Um... Do tell your friends about us. It does help to spread the word about our weekly politics podcast. We have our very special series running right now about how the United Conservative Party formed and ended up winning power. Now, let's just take a second to try and understand who Jason Kenney is. He is a politician. When you think Jason Kenney, you think politics. Most of his career, in fact, his entire actual career has been in public life. He's always campaigning. He's always about politics. He doesn't seem to have much of a social life, to be honest with you. The guy spent years driving around Alberta in a blue pickup truck. I mean, sure, you can ask him what his favourite road trip food is. Let's take a listen to uh, his response there. Okay, so I have some fun road trip questions for you, Uh considering you're on a big, long road trip. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so first up, what is your favourite road trip snack? I'm going to go with taper corn. Taper corn? What do you just buy? Yeah, I learned, I didn't, I, this is stupid, but I didn't know you can just eat it fresh off the cob. Down, we, We're down there in the southern Alberta, and uh, you don't need to boil it or anything. It's just sweet, lovely, fresh, healthy corn. Taper corn? I mean, sure, taper corn's delicious. I love to stop on a road trip and get myself some taper corn in the middle of summer. Of course, it's in southern Alberta. Taper corn is well known as some of the juiciest, yummiest corn you can get. But that is a road trip snack? That's got to be political calculation. Chapter two of that will be coming out next week. As always, any questions, comments or concerns, give me a shout. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com or shoot me something on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. I like kitten gifts. Big fan of those. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. It is Friday, May 24th, 2019, and this is the Game of Thrones speech edition. A little bit of a pop pop culture reference there, guys. <laughs> Trying to up our SEO, are we? <laughs> yes. Get that some stands Google for hits. Search engine optimization. I'm just by trying the way. to jump on the Game of Thrones bandwagon here, okay? I think that's pretty clear that's what I'm doing. I am your host, Provincial Affairs Reporter Emma Graney. With me today around the table, my fellow legislative reporter right now, Janet French. How no, are you? No, I'm Claire Clancy. <laughs> 
Poor Clancy has injured her wrist. We love you, Clancy. We miss you. So Janet has taken up the mantle Get of being down at the ledge. Get your ass back here, Clancy. <laughs> what? You love every second of it down there. What are you talking about? Oh, yes, mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Legislative columnist Keith Geron, how are you, mate? I'm doing well, thanks. Excellent. And our boss, Dave Breckenridge, who is wearing a tie today. It's very oh, off-brand yeah. for you. That's true. Yeah. I can mix things up, surprise people. I don't know. We look very sharp. Congratulations. It, it ties the look together. Ah, ties the look together. I see what you did there. I was very good. Wow, we're on fire with some really great puns here already today. Ooh. Excellent. So we are, of course, going to be talking about the throne speech. One of the most exciting days for a political reporter is throne speech day. Mm, second only really? the budget. Second <laughs> only the election. Okay, look, it's just as a nerd, it's kind of fun. So we're going to talk about that, what was in there kind of the vibe and what we might see to come. We're going to talk about the first few days of the new legislature and about some new rules that are coming, some standing orders that might change the way that the legislature works. Let's get straight on into it. Throne speech was on Wednesday. Keith, you read this. I did. We all read this. (laughs) Wasn't it fun? What was your take on it? It was seven pages of uh, frivolity, brilliance. Uh, <laughs> Is that sarcastic? A little bit, a little bit. I I, I tend to roll my eyes a bit at Throne Speech Day. I, I find it's uh, they have uh, cannons. They have cannons. There's music There's up in the sandwiches. galleries. There's pomp and ceremony. The lieutenant governor is there. It's you know it, it's a nice tradition, but the speech itself tends to be a little on the dull side. Uh, fortunately, and I will give Jason Kenny credit for this. This particular throne speech was about half the length of a regular throne speech. True. Yeah, only about seven pages. Most of them are 13, 14, 15 pages. Uh, tend to go on an hour or more. Uh, this one was was obviously considerably less. And it pretty much just gets straight to the point. It kind of lays out the government's agenda, unveils some of the bills that uh, that it's going that the government is going to uh, introduce in the House, and looks forward to the agenda through the fall, and, and even hints at what may come in 2020. It very much stuck to the UCP campaign platform. And that was kind of all that was in there. There was a bit of flowery language towards the end. It talked about a, an inevitable destiny of Alberta, which is- Is your destiny. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's which is very- See, that's like Game of Thrones. It's very Game of Thrones, mm. exactly. So, so I rolled my eyes a little bit of that kind of language. It seemed a little presumptuous to me. However, um, in terms of length, in terms of getting to the point, I thought it was an effective speech. Interestingly, uh, they did not acknowledge um, the treaty land that they're on either, which has been the kind of theme over the last few years, hasn't it? It has, right? And that's become an issue, right? The NDP government started every press conference, every government event by acknowledging that they were on Treaty 6 territory, Treaty 7 territory, wherever they happen to be in the province, and also recognized the Métis people. The UCP government has uh, done away with that little tradition. Mm. Uh, not entirely sure why, but... Uh, in it the- wasn't mentioned in the speech at all? No. Yeah. I say that I find surprising. It's, you know, it, I guess it's kind of surprising that they're doing away with it in press conferences, but at the very least... You know, the vice regal and treaties and all of that. And it seems like it would make sense to go in the throne speech. It talked a lot about the crown and the queen and that kind of thing. But of course, Jason Jason Kenny's a hardcore monarchist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, Janet, 
you covered this. Um, this was your first throne speech that you were covering, I think, wasn't it? Mm, live. I mean, I've heard and watched lots of throne speeches in multiple provinces, but the first time I've actually been to one. So obviously, you know, we knew that the first couple of bills were coming, but we're looking forward to the fall here. So what mm. were some of the things that stood out to you in terms of what we're going to see coming down the pipeline? Um, well, uh, I'm going to interrupt your question. I'm going to do a po- political thing and answer a different question you didn't ask. <laughs> Oh, well done. You're learning really quickly down at the ledge. I'm figuring this out. (laughs) Um, So we actually just heard from Jason Nixon, by the way, that the session is going to go on into the summer until the UCP gets all its things done that it has promised it will do before the summer. So if they have to come back after the Calgary Stampede, we're going to come back after the Calgary Stampede. So get Mm -hmm. ready for a summer of politicking, it sounds like. Um, so some of the bills, obviously the first three bills, uh, Jason Kenney had made no surprise of the first one would be the repealing the carbon tax, or, uh, the act to repeal the carbon tax, I think. I can't remember the exact wording of what it's called. Yes. Uh, that has been introduced. And the second bill is uh, labor reforms, which the UCP is painting as giving more rights to workers. And the NDP actually says takes workers' rights to collectively bargain away or not collectively organize away. Uh, and the third bill, uh, remind me. That will be <laughs> the third bill will be about um, corporate tax cuts. Corporate tax cuts, right? We're going twelve percent down to eleven each year, progressively till. So we 2022, we did 8%. Mm-hmm. Then we did hear about a few more bills coming. Um, and I can't remember exactly which ones they're pushing through in the summer and which ones they're going to get to in the fall. But there's also Claire's Law, which is supposed to give um, people who are suspected victims of domestic violence access potentially to uh, the criminal records of their partners, their intimate partners. Uh, and also the Save the Girl Next Door Act, Correct. which is uh, God, intervening intervening in uh, human trafficking. We all raised some eyebrows over that name, but apparently there was a bill that passed in uh, Wins, Ontario legislature uh, by the same name that had similar similar effect. So that I would hate allow that name. He's I taking policy names from Kathleen Wynne. Yeah. Yes. Jason Kenney, a liberal. Yep. Well, wasn't he no. a liberal, like, back in the day? He Every, did work for Ralph Goodall. Yes, his first foray into politics, you're correct, was working for Ralph oh, Goodall, well-known liberal. <laughs> yes. That yeah, definitely so happened. There's also a Red Tape Reduction Act coming. That's going to be That's Bill 4. That's Bill 4, yeah, yeah, is Red Tape Reduction. And some interesting uh, changes to the uh, to the education uh, legislation as well, right? And Janet would know that one pretty well. <laughs> Surprise, like, you forgot oh, about that one. Oh, yeah, that thing I usually write about. Um, so we actually don't, it's really, it was really unclear in the throne speech what, exactly what amendments he wants to make the Education Act. So just to, to rewind to what the heck we're talking about. Um, right now, the piece of, the overarching piece of legislation that governs um, schooling, K-12 schooling in Alberta is called the School Act. Major platform promise of the UCP was to replace that with the Education Act, which is a piece of legislation that was passed by the legislature by the PCs in 2012, amended in 2015. They wrote some regulations, then they got turfed from office before they ever proclaimed it. So this is actually introducing several potential major changes to the education system, including, hey, you can go to school for free till you're 21, which has substantial implications, particularly for I mean, urban school boards, mm-hmm. uh, shoehorning potentially Calgary uh, Board of Education says it's going to have se- it could have seventeen hundred extra kids um, between the ages of nineteen and twenty one. Yeah, um, and also don't they uh, want those kids to graduate? They do, they do. Yeah, but right yeah, now you but have to they pay. need money to <laughs> yeah. help that. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and there's something about the age of everybody starting kindergarten at the same time, and also it would potentially eliminate the cap on charter schools. There's lots of little changes in there. However, we don't exactly know. He, he wants to amend it before he brings it in, but we don't know how they plan to amend it. And it's a question I haven't been able to get an answer to. And also some changes about it's going to be about curriculum and also make it clear on the way that you have to yeah, teach. Yeah, and which that's is not in legis. There was a line about that that I couldn't quite decode um, about something to do with the legislation talking about curriculum and right now they're yeah. right now the legislation in Alberta does not tell teachers how to teach subjects or to, to put any timeline on curriculum review that's there there is a ministerial order which Chase and Kenny has said he would repeal which uh, touches on inquiry based learning and how we should be uh, teaching children using like projects and helping foster their areas of interest and learning through asking questions rather than uh, sort of rote worksheet uh, repetitive you know, algorithm yeah, I don't know that you can legislate how a teacher runs their classroom. You know, I mean, I guess you could, but I mean, that's very bizarrely government overreach into a classroom. I would say having a mum who was a teacher, she would not have reacted particularly well if, you know, the government would just say, you aren't, you don't know best for your classroom. I'm sorry. You must do what we think is best for your classroom, particularly when you're coming from policy made by a whole bunch of non-teachers. I well, mean, that sort of actually does exist now with the ministerial order, but that ministerial order but is, it's quite from, vague. is from the PCs. Right. It's not It's not David Egan's ministerial order. It's, it's not from the NDP. It was from the PCs from 2013. Also, they want to get this in place for the start of the next school mm. year. So really good luck there because Janet and I have both been education reporters. You're still our education reporter. Trying to get an answer on anything in the summer is impossible. There are going to be a lot of superintendents and assistant superintendents working a lot of hours this summer at a time that they would normally be on vacation. And I think that this is really going to throw school boards for a loop. I think so too. Dave? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I I think that uh, as far as the, the changes to the Education Act, it would be nice to have some idea as to what exactly they're going to do within the next couple of weeks. It'd be nice to have, because The public will start tuning out once summer comes around. Parents of kids will not be paying attention to what's going on with with school legislation once their kids are done for the summer and they uh, are getting heck out of Dodge. (laughs) Janet will be on the file for you. But so as Keith, as you mentioned in your column and it's recently and it was about climate change, it wasn't about the Education Act, but you, you, you were clear to point out that the UCP, when it comes to dealing with things that, that were their priorities in the election, they're getting down to business. They're, uh, you know, we're going to repeal the carbon, we're going to get these things done right away. Repeal the carbon tax, make Alberta open for business, and whatever Bill 3 was, I can't remember. That, that's the corporate, corporate tax. That's, that's yeah. right. The corporate taxes. I don't know. Build numbers and names and all that. <laughs> they should all have catchy names like the Saving the Girl Next Door Act. Oh, <laughs> like no. the Reducing Red Tape Act should be the uh, Wielding the Machete Act. It's, I don't know. <laughs> dramatic act names. Dr- the dramatic act names. Um, so they've shown that they can release details and and really get to it on issues that are important to them. It, I think that on issues that are important to a lot of Albertans, namely how the school system is going to run, it'd be good to hear from them on this sooner rather than later. So the question I think is, um, have they thought through the implications of replacing the fundamental piece of legislation governing K-12 schools? Because That's all Jason a, Kenny a cynic, does, isn't it? He- a cynic would say <laughs> that the the impetus for that was to backtrack on the GSA rules, right? Which is 
which is there. Some people are calling it a backdoor way of rolling back the protections for LGBTQ kids mm-hmm. in schools, right? It lets private schools off the hook. They don't have to have um, policies. They wouldn't have to have policies anymore um, or codes of conduct, you know, spelling out the consequences for picking on gay kids. And they would not be required to make particular accommodations other than just to say like, oh, yeah, there's the Human Rights Act. You should probably follow that. Well, there's an easy way to show that it wasn't a backdoor is that to amend the Education Act to include those protections. Hmm. What a novel concept, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, and I, it, to be clear, the UCP and Jason Kenney has said numerous times we don't favour outing gay kids. I mean, they've said that again and again. Mandatory. And again. They said they don't favour mandatory outing of gay kids. Nobody has suggested that that is the plan or the or a request. So, also during the first uh, during this week, we had a new speaker elected, Nathan Cooper, the MLA from Old Didsbury Three Hills. That's Two right. Hills. You How got many it. hills are in no, his three writing? Hills, three hills. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan Cooper is, of course, huge process political nerd. He would definitely not argue with me if I were to call him that. He calls himself that. Um, he was pretty excited about being elected elected speaker. Um, so was his grandma. Yes. So Janet, you 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 saw that, right? What was happening in yeah, the chamber? That was so, pretty cute. Uh, yeah, so lots of people, you know, lots of proud parents and kids and whatever people, they come willingly and they get dragged to come watch their loved ones and friends <laughs> uh, fr- from the gallery, like be sworn in as MLAs. And lots of people were there on Tuesday watching their loved ones be sworn in as UCP MLAs. And then there in the afternoon for the election of speakers, slightly smaller crowd, but there was a cluster of what I can only assume is Cooperites. 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 <laughs> a cluster uh, of Cooperites. Yes. And so uh and so there was a there was a, a old elderly lady who was quite red in the face, stabbing away at her tears on her face. And then Nathan Cooper pointed up and said that that was his grandmother and that uh, he really admired her and that she um, was a real role model for him. And it was her that he wanted to emulate in his role, uh, you know, serving as speaker. The interesting thing I found about Nathan Cooper being selected, and and by the way, he, he beat out uh, uh, Heather Sweet from the NDP who had served as, uh, ch- I think, deputy chair of committees yes. during the NDP government. Um, but Cooper won that, uh, we think, fairly overwhelmingly. We don't know because it was a secret ballot uh, among the MLAs. But he is the youngest speaker uh, Alberta's had since 1936, mm-hmm. which is he's only 39 years old. The recent trend has been of speakers with a lot more experience in their 50s and 60s. Gene Zwazdeski, Ken Kowalski, Bob Warner, the most recent one, all in their 50s and 60s. Uh, back when Alberta was a younger province and people only lived to age 55 or 60, mm-hmm. we did have speakers <laughs> <laughs> who were in their 30s. Um, but uh, he is the youngest since the Great Depression. I think that'll make for an interesting speaker. Uh, he will perhaps some, have some more contemporary references. He will perhaps add a little more fun and levity and humor to the role. We'll, we'll see. But uh, he did seem pretty happy to have the role. Yeah. I mean, he, he is into it. He's really into it. He was so excited when he um he came by and I was chatting with him one day just about before he was elected as speaker, just like, oh, so you're going to be running for speaker, yeah? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited about it because he's one of those guys who does genuinely love the nerdy procedural part of politics. Like he love, love, loves it. Andrew Shear was the same way. Right, he was. That's right. I, and I'm still getting used to the idea of a younger speaker, even though Andrew Shear was speaker for for uh, quite a few years. And he was in the, his 30s. He was in his speaker. 30s as well. You know, for me, I kind of miss Ken Kowalski's. Uh, I've had enough 
attitude, like just kind of like, oh, <laughs> I'm sick of this crap. And Peter Milliken at the federal level. I like I, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd and I like watching question period. and I like watching how the speaker deals with issues and that big booming voice and stuff like that. I kind of and cranky, cranky old men. Get this kinda, man a tricorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Nathan Cooper says he's going to use his best dad voice to keep all of the politicians in line <laughs> because he's, of course, a dad of three and did draw a parallel between politicians and children. Um, so, of course, we had Bill 1 was tabled as well already this week. Keith, what was that one all about? Yeah, that one's the Carbon Tax Repeal Act. It, it's not a surprise. Uh, Jason Kenney and the UCP have been railing against this for two or three years and have, have essentially made it their top priority. Interesting timing, though. Uh, they they introduced it in the House uh, at the time that Alberta is essentially on fire. There's huge wildfires up in, in northern Alberta right now. Uh, and this is the, the time that they choose to uh, begin dismantling a lot of the NDP's climate change initiatives. Now, I draw a connection here loosely, right? The the fires that are going on in northern Alberta right now, we don't know the direct cause of those, right? It's impossible to determine if climate change is a direct contributor to those particular fires. But what we do know is that climate change in general, warm, you know, warming climate creates the the possibility of the probability of more frequent and more severe extreme weather and natural disasters, including wildfires. So it was an interesting kind of dichotomy there uh, to kind of reverse the climate change initiatives of the previous government at the same time that we are seeing evidence potentially of climate disaster occurring right here in Alberta. And the concerning part for me was it's not just the, the carbon tax that's going. That's fine if people don't uh, agree with the carbon tax. 55% of Albertans voted against it in the recent election. But the UCP has no urgency to replace it with anything else. And that's the problem. We heard that they're quite urgent about other things, uh, education reform, uh, red tape reduction. They're willing to stay past the stampede to get their legislation through. But that urgency does not extend to climate change. Their program, which is going to focus on heavy emitters, isn't going to be released until later this year, possibly 2020. Uh, that's disappointing to me that uh, they're not showing the same kind of determination on that file that they are towards the economy. And the environment minister was asked, do you think that this is a crisis? Are you in crisis mode? Jason Nixon was asked this and he went, crisis mode? Nah. Oh, and interestingly, um, was it Kenny was also uh, every time he mentioned what the steps Alberta was going to take about climate change and how, you know, the carbon tax or carbon price will still apply to heavy emitters. He always followed up by saying, like, basically, we could shut and this is almost a quote, we could shut Alberta's economy down tomorrow and it essentially wouldn't make a dent in the uh, in the global emissions yeah, I mean, that that is a common point that the UCP and others bring up, that uh, it is uh, not essentially Alberta's responsibility. We have we have little uh, to do with this, which well, is... Well, it's 40% of Canada's emissions come from Alberta. Well, I, I agree. I, I think I think it's a, it's a wrong-headed argument. But even if our emissions total is, is small compared to the global totals, we still have to do our part. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't have every small jurisdiction in the world saying, eh, it's not our problem. It's somebody in China that has to deal well, with this. It doesn't work. I well, mean, we want to looking, export all that oil to China anyway. Sure, but like China and India, which have two massive emitters, they are turning towards solar power and 
renewable energy. Like that's what they're doing they're right still now. Building, China is still building coal-fired plants. Yeah, they're, they are, but yeah. they're also building more solar and so is India. And so to argue that we don't have to do anything because it's a global problem, everyone else has to do something first, it's kind of nutty because you know what? These developing economies are, as well as China, they are doing stuff already. So to say that, meh, it's just kind of baloney. It's one thing to say that we don't like the NDP's climate plan, we don't like the climate leadership plan and giving all these grants from the carbon tax to community. Like, it's one thing to say that and say we're going to do something else. And it's another thing to to turn around and say, well, we'll get it out when we get it out. That's a, that's problematic. Either Like, if you're serious about it, and Kenny has said his government is going to have a comprehensive climate plan, let's get to work on it. Let's not just end it and then not do anything for months, right? Like that's that's a problem. And it's the same problem that Andrew Scheer is going to have. He, At the federal level, he claims that he's going to have a detailed climate plan come out in June. Well, let's see it before the election. And let's have details on what you plan to do with it. That's a, it's a problem for conservative parties right now, even though Kenny won with the majority saying that he's going to get rid of the carbon tax and get rid of the climate leadership plan. I think he still owes Albertans movement on that file. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, his argument that he tried to use the other day as well was, well, the NDP didn't introduce their climate plan for f- for months after coming into office. So it was this implication of, I don't understand why you're so mad about it. But let's also not forget further the key's point that they have so many issues that they are moving on straight away. Um, Jason Kenney said going into the campaign, he's like, yeah, we've already started drafting policy. They already had teams in place drafting legislation. So I don't think it's a fair argument to say, well, the NDP didn't do theirs for ages either. Well, yeah, but you've come into government with legislation already written about what you want to change and how you want to change it and a giant document full of campaign promises. So it's disingenuous to argue that you haven't had time or we just haven't had a chance to even think about this yet because you want to completely change the education system before the 1st of September. Um, I think we also can't forget the political implications of changing climate policy in Alberta yep. too, right? I mean, we talked uh, this word social license were thro- was thrown around for for years, right, about how um, NDP opposition leader, as she, when she was premier, Rachel Notley, um, was constantly saying like, hey, we, we you know, got the approval for this Trans Mountain Pipeline because we have the social license to do it because we have strong climate policies and good, mm-hmm. good energy, uh, you know, ambitions for Alberta. And we're going to we're going to develop this industry responsibly and move move to like 30 percent renewables by 2030. All those targets are now at the door. What are the implications then for our ability to secure social license to have national energy projects approved? Yeah, and as much as that term really does suck and should just be thrown out, um, <laughs> Justin Trudeau in fairness did say, yeah, you know, part of this was because of Alberta's climate goals. Or but then he's already – but now, but like, now the, it's all the just, horse is out of that yeah, barn for anyway sure. for Trudeau because he's repeatedly said the pipeline is in the national interest and he and the feds bought the pipeline. So, you know, I mean, what are the political implications? Can, will it get approval? If it doesn't, it looks like the government ragged the pocket and wasted money on a pipeline. Yeah, why'd they buy a pipeline? But I think the question is for other projects, right? For future projects. This isn't going to be the only pipeline expansion that Alberta ever considers, is it? Well, if the feds pass Bill C-48 and bans tanker traffic on the Northwest Coast, this is really only the the only pipeline Alberta is ever going to get. Speaking of which, uh, the legislature on its first full sitting day did come together for an emergency debate this week to talk about Bill C-48 and 69. And then all the major parties signed a joint letter. I believe it was the NDP, the UCP, the Alberta Liberals and the Alberta Party all signed their name to a letter 
Uh, can, that was, can we call the Alberta Liberals a major party when they got 1% of the vote? Hey, man, that's what Jason <laughs> Kenney called them. They were in the leaders' debate. Yep, they're in the latest debate. Um, anyway, they signed this joint letter to send Ottawa saying, you know what, we're okay with 69 as long as you make all the amendments that the Senate has 187 sent of them. Yes, there are so many of them. Anyway, that was just a fun little aside. And there was a nice little uh, government house tea, I assume, with small sandwiches. Yeah, there was With the a- senators, um, Jason Kenney and um, NDP leader Rachel Notley as well. Yeah, there were some. So yeah, so the, uh, five of the six Alberta senators were in town yesterday, and they did meet with some provincial leaders of government house to talk about C forty eight and C sixty nine, which, if you have not been paying attention, fair enough, is uh, something <laughs> something to do with like a restriction on tanker traffic off the BC coast. Go back C-48. to our previous podcast episode. Yeah, we go into listen, a lot. go listen to them. Yeah, um, all I- of them. I did want to switch gears just briefly now to Janet. You were just at a press conference as we record this on Friday morning. Order! None of that death thumping. Why are we hitting? That, um, friends, is something you will not hear if the standing orders change as the UCP wants them to. Carson's no. going to hate that. One oh, edits the audio. Sorry, He's listeners. going to be like, ah. Yeah, he is going to hate that. That's our podcast producer. Sorry, Carson. Um, Janet. What happened to press conference this morning yeah, so with House Leader because, Jason Nixon? Uh, so Government House Leader Jason Nixon announced this morning, uh, he, he didn't run through quite all of them, but there's about a dozen procedural types of changes coming to the rules that rule the the House and the legislature. And um, so the first of them is that uh, the UCP is trying to, as they say, bring more decorum to uh to their meetings into question period. And so one of the ways that uh, members express lots of different feelings, support or disdain, or sometimes even like um, the example that Heather Sweet gave today, she's the deputy house leader for the opposition NDP. Uh, She said that sometimes they bang on the desks, even if somebody's trying to give an emotional speech. Absolutely. That happens a lot. Brian Brian Jean's wildfire address, like he kind of got choked up and couldn't continue and everybody like banged on their desks. Because it it gives them a chance to to, um, gather themselves. The same thing happened with Rick Fraser, who ended up with the Alberta party, but was with the PC when he gave a really emotional speech about his son who is gay and how his thinking has come around on GSAs and LGBTQ issues. Right. It is and she's something saying is. it's it fills the silence to allow them to yeah. give them a second to gather their thoughts so it's not just this wall of silence they have to fill with their difficult to express thoughts. Anyway, so obviously she is opposed to that particular change. The desk thumping is getting a lot of attention. Uh, so Jason Nixon says it's embarrassing. School groups come uh, to watch question period in the legislature and then they come to him after and go like, ugh, that was just, why are these MLAs so badly behaved goodness they just why are they all these outbursts and banging and and nixon also says like it's different when you're on the floor he said it's incredibly loud it's actually hard to if people are thumping and banging you can't even hear yourself talk it's just very disruptive he finds it just to be not that productive in terms of getting business done so there's a little bit to do about that but some of the other changes are also to do with getting business done and this is if you uh if you're not a political nerd well you're a political nerd because you're listening to this podcast so keep listening <laughs> um is uh they want to change um introductions so if you ever watch uh if you ever watch um, session they'll have often at the beginning mlas will stand up and say hey it's um my the grade two class is here from you know Alberta Central Smith, Primary School, Smith or School, or whatever. Yeah. Welcome them here today. Yay! Welcome to you and through you, yeah. Mr. Speaker. I'd like to, uh, to welcome you and to you, you and through like, you yeah. to this okay, the members yeah. of this assembly, the Grade Two class from yeah. 
you guys pay like way more attention because you to have to talk than... to his sp- to and through the speaker in the yeah. house. Yeah. Okay, so they whatever they introduce people. So they want to make those. They want to make it so that. But but Jason said that. Sorry, Mr. Nixon, Minister Nixon. Oh my gosh, can we talk about how we're forgetting to use their proper it's, names it, all the time? It's hard to switch Super from hard. four years of one thing to like a little another bit of thing that. straight away. Totally. Jason Kenny called Rachel Notley Premier to uh, during Jason question. Jason Nixon called Rachel Notley Premier twice today. <laughs> It's not just us finding this change difficult. <laughs> Our brains are not adapting well. Anyhow, so uh, so Nixon said that those have become more partisan, that people have sometimes just naturally ebbed and flowed in their introductions, even if it seems fairly benign. It's like, and the nursing union is here because you're taking away all their rights. Like, that was totally a hypothetical example. Um, they're, they're actually going to have introductions in the House go through the speaker now so that they will be more nonpartisan. And also members can do it in their member statements if they so please or have that availability that day. And another thing they're going to do is... Add the ability for people to abstain on votes. This this is massive. And the background on this, of course, as you might remember if you pay any attention to Alberta politics, is Bill 9 that was introduced by the NDP, which was going to establish protest-free bubble zones around abortion clinics in Alberta. Now, the UCP came under a ton of fire on this because they refused to debate it, they refused to vote on it, and they would get up and leave the House whenever a vote was going to happen on the bill or on any of the amendments or proposed amendments to the bill. And Jason Nixon said, well, we had to leave the House because we didn't have the ability to abstain. So that was our only option. Which I might point out that at the time, none of them would acknowledge the fact that abstaining from a vote is a le- is a thing you can do in Alberta. When we brought this up, they said we chose to abstain. Like that's not a thing you can do. Yes it is. It's part of um it's part of political tradition here. It's totally a thing you can do. And we all said no no no, it's actually not a thing <laughs> that exists in Alberta. So it's interesting that they're well, trying to use this argument soon. that Yeah, well, I mean that it's interesting they're bringing it in because it flies in the face of every answer they gave at the time with the Bill 9 debate. That's interesting they're bringing that in. Well, you know, at the, at the federal level, at the House of Commons, they can abstain by remaining seated, right? Like, yeah, like... I think so, yeah, something yes. like that. Ourcommons.ca, uh, requirement to vote. There's no rule requiring a member to vote. A member may abstain from voting simply by remaining seated during the vote. Such abstentions are an unofficial status and not recorded, although on occasion members have... Uh, risen following a vote to offer an explanation for why they have abstained. So if it brings Alberta in line with, say, federal parliament, fine. But given that it comes in the wake of this rather controversial way that they abstained from something that they should have voted on. I'm sorry. Like, Derek Fildebrandt, to his credit, he debated the bill, offered amendments to the bubble zone bill, and still voted against it and had his name on record as to why he was against it and good on him for doing that. The UCP didn't, and I I don't think they handled that matter well at all. As for the desk thumping, I, I'm of two minds on it. I think that, yes, there are moments where the desk thumping gets out of hand, where, you know, the, the government is like on a roll and everyone is standing up to cheer people or they answer a question really snidely with like a great, like verbal jab at the end of their answer and everyone pounds their desk and applauds. I think that that kind of gets out of hand. I don't mind the idea that it, that it occasionally it, it makes sense. And after speeches or whatever, it makes sense to do. On the flip side, I almost think the cynic in me is like, they just want to make the 
question period or the goings on at the legislature as boring as possible so few people watch. <laughs> oh, I'll still be watching. Well, I know. Emma will and will be uh, tweeting puffball gifts whenever the... Uh, you know I will. Anything about puffballs? Oh, anything? yeah. So we had heard that there oh, might puffball be... puffball questions, by the way, are questions from backbenchers on the government side who ask questions of ministers, uh, not necessarily in an unimportant topic. However, the minister knows that it is coming, it is organized, and it is all scripted. That is a definition of puffball. And I would extend that to questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with a specific issue in that member's riding and is just a way for the to get the minister to trumpet what the government is doing on an issue. Exactly. How, how awesome are you, minister? Well, yeah, Let me exactly. tell you about how awesome I am. And with that, there are, of course, more changes coming, and you should read Janet's story for all of it. But we have to get going on to the next segment here, our usual segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have seen, read, listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy, dear listeners. Dave? I'm going to recommend a podcast uh, this week. I, I, I read a good piece by local writer Omar Mualim. Uh, he wrote a piece for The Ringer about uh, a silent film star from uh, Lebanon who's actually a relative of his. It's a very good read. You should listen. My recommendation this week, though, is a bizarre podcast from Wondery and Bloomberg called The Shrink Next Door. And the setup is basically this columnist, former New York Times columnist, uh, works for Bloomberg now, lives at a, has a place in the Hamptons. And there's this shrink and his wife who lived in the house next door. And there was this doting handyman who did all sorts of jobs uh, at this house. One day, the, shrink, the psychiatrist and his wife are gone. The handyman is there. And the columnist learns that the handyman is actually the owner of the house and was a patient of the shrink and the, sorry, I keep using the word shrink because it's in the title. I know it's a pejorative. Bear with me. That he was actually a patient of the psychiatrist and alleges that the psychiatrist basically took over his whole life over 30 years, like had him disassociate himself with his from his family and his friends and his co-workers and signed like power of attorney or had a new will where he, it's bizarre. I'm three episodes in, it's a fascinating, fascinating listen. And if you're looking for some music to listen to this summer, you should check out the new album from the Vampire Weekend, uh, Father of the Bride. It's a excellent, nice summary. Keith, what do you have for us this week, mate? I have a profile in the Narwhal magazine uh, called uh, Meet Alberta's Most Vilified Environmentalist. Yeah! Great piece. This is a great piece. It's a profile of Ed Whittingham, who will, you will know uh, became a bit of a whipping boy for Jason Kenney during the recent campaign. Uh, he was uh, formerly the uh, executive director of the Pembina Institute, had been appointed to the board of the Alberta Energy Regulator, and this had not sat well with Jason Kenney. I felt it was very, very unfair of Kenney, uh, the way that he treated Whittingham, made him a pariah during the campaign and, and mischaracterized him. Uh, this is a great profile to uh, for Albertans to meet the real Ed Whittingham. The uh, photo of him is actually posing in a uh, in a hunting vest of some sort with a rifle. Uh, <laughs> not your typical, <laughs> not your typical environmentalist. So I, I, rec- I recommend it. Nice. I'm going to recommend a piece actually uh, that I read that was tweeted at me, which is a fan. I've forgotten who it is. I'm so sorry, people. Um, it's a really interesting read on Mosaic. It's called Iceland Knows How to Stop Teen Substance Abuse, but the rest of the world isn't listening. And it's a super, super interesting read about 
basically, as the title might suggest, how Iceland has managed to kind of stop or greatly reduce the scourge of teens drinking and smoking. And they've done it through basically just giving kids something to do. What a novel concept. But yeah, it's really cool. And it goes into a lot of depth about what Iceland did, how they did it, and how it might work in the rest of the world and why other places are not embracing this very real social experiment that has been going on now for a couple of decades and is working really well. Janet, take us home. Okay. Well, I also have a podcast because I'm Claire Clancy, but also as education-y because I'm also Janet French. Um, so they're, one of my favorite podcasts is called The Hidden Brain, and they had an episode from last week called What's Not on the Test. And it just really raises these philosophical questions about like, what is an education? And what is a high quality functional education? And what skills do you actually need in education? What really helps you succeed in life? And is it how well you, you know, write all these tests? Or is it is it skills that you cannot possibly test? So to look at this, um, they talked to a Nobel Prize winning economist, James Heckman, about his work, and he's done a lot of um, investigation into what sorts of skills, some of them are soft skills, so skills that you can't necessarily write down on a piece of paper and a little bubble sheet, um, prepare people for life, and um, found that it's not necessarily, surprisingly, not how well you fill out those little bubble sheets, but things like grit and perseverance and the qualities that some people would argue are not necessarily being taught in schools the way that they maybe were or could be or should be. Interesting. Guys, thank you so much for joining me, Janet French, Keith Duran, and Dave Breckenridge for another episode of the Press Gallery. Do subscribe. You'll get all the latest episodes straight to your device. Any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or contact me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Have a good one. <laughs>